Hello and welcome to my hearth. Uh, this is Creative Storytelling, uh, episode two. And we're going to start looking at this very strange and interesting problem of be careful what you wish for. And where does it come from? Now, it's one of the basic things of storytelling, isn't it? The idea of some kind of creature that grants someone wishes. And of course, within that process, everything goes wrong. Everybody thinks, well, if I got exactly what I wished for, then I would be in a fantastic position and uh, I'd get, you know, my heart's desire and everything to be. So we're going to look at this from various aspects. And I think what we're going to have a look at in this particular episode is how that was... Um, elucidated by the Greeks. Now, the Greeks are very important to us. Uh, Western civilization uh, has its whole process of thought based in the Greeks. The Greeks were one of the first peoples to try to define what it is to be human in a very specific way. The Greeks saw us as a spirit that had a soul that inhabited a body. Therefore, a human being, as it were, was made up of three parts. Now, it's important that the spirit was eternal. So whatever happened to our, our human body after we died, the spirit continued. Not only that... When the spirit continued and went to the Greeks' underworld, yeah, and that's unusual, isn't it, as well? Because the Greeks, when people died, everybody went into the underworld. Uh, it's not the idea of a, a separate heaven and hell. In the underworld, there were good places and bad places, but they were basically in the same place. They were in the underworld, which was ruled over by the god of the underworld, by Hades. And if you've been good, you went to Elysium. And if you've been bad, you went to various other places to be punished. But the spirit was continuous and immortal and went on for eternity. Um, not only that, in the spirit afterlife, you were recognisable as the same person you had been when you were alive. Uh, therefore, you know, someone else meeting you would know who you were. You were recognisable enough in your, that your spiritual body um, resembled your human physical body, so you were recognisable. Um, if you think about Orpheus going into the underworld, he immediately recognises his wife, uh, Eurydice, knows who she is because she looks exactly the same. Now, as part of this process, therefore, you had to realise that whatever you did in this world, in the human physical world, uh, had an effect on the afterlife. And that was very important. There was a cause and effect created by your actions when you were alive. And that led to how you were going to be treated uh, when you when you died, what happened to you in the afterlife. So 
I suppose you had to think of the fact that there were consequences to your actions. So you had to be very careful what you wished for. And the gods, the Greek gods who oversaw all of our lives, were very aware of that. And they could, in the way that they did, play games with us. You know, there's there's a wonderful Greek expression, which I think is still very pertinent. You know, those whom the gods wish to punish, grant them their every desire. So in our human weakness, and notice all these things are very, are very important to storytelling, in our human weakness, we will often wish for those things which perhaps we shouldn't. Um, it's going to play into um, our own desires, our own um, way that we want our lives to be. So, you know, if you want a fast car, um, have it. You know, the, the, the gods will give it to you. And then don't be surprised if you then have an accident and it kills you. That's the kind of thing that the ancient Greek gods did. Now, if we think about the humanity, the frailty of humanity, uh, of people, you know, very often we don't always wish for things that are going to be good for us. Uh, we think for things, you know, we wish for things that we're going to, as it were, fulfil our desires, you know, and just because we desire it doesn't necessarily mean that it's good. Let's give some examples of, you know, what the gods actually did in ancient times. You know, King Midas uh, wanted everything he touched to turn to gold. And of course, the gods immediately said, yeah, have that. And then, of course, he gets very upset when everything he touches does turn to gold. Anything he tries to eat, anything he tries to drink, anybody that he touches, you know, his bed, his chair, everything becomes hard, cold gold. And then in the end, you don't want gold anymore. You want you know, it to go back to what it was before. And, and that's a kind of Greek pattern for these wishes of be careful what you wish for, that very often what you wish for in the end is for things to go back to where they were before. Um, this idea in storytelling has been taken forward by many, many people. There's a lovely story called The Monkey's Paw, uh, where every wish that the people make that find it, um, life becomes so much worse, so much worse. It's, it's worth having a look at. Okay. So who are the Greek gods that they should do these things? The Greek gods, interestingly, are very human in the way that they behave. Although there is a Greek god for everything, you know, there's the king of the gods, Zeus, there's his wife, Hera, uh, there's the goddess of love, Aphrodite, there's the goddess of wisdom, Athena. They have secrets, they have affairs, you know, they have desires of themselves. They are very human. Um, and the, the Greek society, in trying to 
understand the gods really are also trying to understand um, how they are. We, we are made in the image of, of the Greek gods, you know, as, as, as Greek humans. And they do all sorts of things that we would find extraordinary, you know, as Poseidon, the god of the sea. And they all need, they all need some kind of uh, worship um, some kind of sacrifice so that we're always keeping them in control. They're, they're 24-hour, all-seeing. Yeah, everything that you do has to be put by the gods. The gods have a plan and a pattern for you. you know, you're at the, the will of the mercy of the gods. Now, it's interesting. The, the gods wore long robes, and when they sat down, those robes would create a kind of um, surface uh, over their legs, yeah, create a lap. And the gods very often would throw dice to see what they would choose and what they would do for you. Our lives were in the lap of the gods in that particular way. And uh, they would just decide, they would they would play with us. Um, it's a lovely image, isn't it, that were almost like chess pieces to the gods being moved around the the board of the world for them to play with. Um, let's give a very good example of that because it, it is very important uh, for storytelling to think about the way that the, the Greeks told the stories of the gods in their relation to man. So let's just have a little think. We've already said that the Greeks saw us as having three parts. Our spiritual parts that goes on for infinity then our soul which is the mind and the emotions which is our personalities uh, who we are in that particular way and obviously that's very connected uh, to the, to the spirit uh, and finally there are our physical bodies and everything we do has to be an improvement for the gods you know what the what the Greeks did to help him, um, improve their physical attributes was to create the gymnasium somewhere where you would go to improve your your body. And the Greeks were always needing proof and some way of testing uh, that what you had been doing was working. So in that way, they invented the Olympics. Now the original Olympics were just a running race. So in the improvement of your body, had you invented a, a race where you could be the best uh, and it didn't matter who you were. I think the first winner of the Olympics was a baker. I may be mistaken in that, but, you know, it's, it's not an athlete as such. But in the gymnasium, you know, that's what you would do. Now, gradually, the gymnasium was also used as a way to improve you as a soldier. Now, that was very, very important because in, in the Greek wars, and they had wars with each other, but also wars with other societies, you know, the gymnasium had helped you be a better soldier. So you would throw a discus because very often in a war you would throw things. You, know, you would throw a javelin. You'd, uh, you would wrestle, you would fight and do all of these things. You would run. It would improve your strength, your hand-eye coordination. It would make you a, 
a better fighter. You know, and again, that was to do with your physical being um, being something that was a part of your worship to the gods. If you improved your body, then as it were, you were uh, creating your image in that of the gods. Yeah. Now, for your mind and your emotions, uh, they studied things. They invented the whole idea of, of schools, of going and studying um, with people. Uh, and then you would pass on knowledge in that particular way. And they were amazing. Um, they made great leaps forward in mathematics and geography and music, um, in writing and poetry, uh, all sorts of things, geography, history, all of these things the Greeks prized, philosophy, the study of ideas, any, you know, any ology and osophy that you can think of, uh, they, they were there. They were trying to find out about the world and about themselves, because in that way they would understand the mind of the gods more. Um, we'll come back to their worship at another time, but let's link back to what we're saying about be careful what you wish for. Um, the, the Greeks liked the idea of competitions, and it wasn't unusual for the gods to have a competition. And one that I want to really be thinking about today is one that the three goddesses have uh, in actually trying to have, a, I suppose it was a kind of beauty contest, yeah, who was the best of the goddesses. You know, there was Hera, as I say, was the wife of Zeus, who was the queen of the gods, uh, there was uh, Aphrodite, who's the goddess of love, and Athena, who's the goddess of wisdom, and they decide to have a contest. Now, they decided that rather than one of the other gods judging this contest, judging this contest, uh, they would have a human, and the best person to choose was going to be the most beautiful man alive. And that was Paris, who was the Prince of Troy. And they got him to come and judge their beauty contest. Now, it's interesting, you know, why would Paris decide to do this? I don't think he had a choice. Uh, and also, when you're faced with three powerful goddesses, you probably wouldn't say no. But then he's immediately got a dilemma. You know, he has to present them uh, an apple, one of the golden apples of the Hesperides, you know, to the to the goddess that um, he considers to be the loveliest. And as a result, he's got this dilemma. What's he going to do? Whichever one he chooses, the other two are going to be upset. And you don't want to make an enemy of two goddesses, especially any two of those three, which is why we call the whole situation a judgment of Paris, because it's a judgment that you cannot win. And he doesn't know what to do. Should it be to the queen of the gods, to Hera? Should it be to the goddess of love? Should it be to the goddess of wisdom? 
Now, the goddesses are very clever. One might almost say devious. And the goddess of love, Aphrodite, says to Paris, if you choose me, I will give you the most beautiful woman alive. And of course, Paris is a man. And at the idea of this, his humanity comes in, his lust, desire and want and need comes in. And he says, oh, the most beautiful woman alive. That sounds interesting. Yes, I'll do that. Now, of course, you know, what um, Aphrodite doesn't tell him is the most beautiful woman alive, who is Helen, is already married to someone else. But what happens in the moment of decision is she falls out of love with her husband, who is one of the kings of Greece, and immediately falls in love with Paris, because after all, the goddess of love has promised that they should be together. And Paris takes Helen away from her natural environment in Greece, and takes her to his own country of Troy, where he is a king, and she becomes Helen of Troy. And as such, her husband, uh, Menelaus, uh, wants to get her back, and the process of what we now call the Trojan War, this huge war, starts as a result. So, as you can see within that little story, somebody's action has a consequence. There is an action and a reaction where that happens. Um, and we'll, we can see that, you know, the story of Troy is one of the basic stories of the world as a result of that. And Helen of Troy becomes known as, is this the, the face that launched a thousand ships? And we'll continue with this next time in creative storytelling um, if you've enjoyed this and you want to hear more then don't forget to subscribe uh, and you can follow us uh, on our uh, social media at uh, creativestorytelling.co.uk bye for now